Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. Okay, are we, are we, are we rolling? Are we we going are rolling on Molly. Wow, okay. Hi. <laughs> welcome Hello. back. Hi. It hasn't been welcome back for you guys, but for us guys, it's a welcome yeah, back. Because for these two guys, it's been quite a while. It's been two to three months, Damn. right? Since the beginning of quarantine. We haven't actually met up to record an episode. Right. We had some stuff stockpiled before quarantine. Right. And then we've just been coasting on that. Because we were too scared about killing each other's families. Yeah. To record, and now we don't care about that so much. <laughs> I need some human interaction. Yeah. Since the last time that we recorded, so much has happened. Because the last time that we recorded a full-length episode, the coronavirus like wasn't a thing. It like just started. Right. Then the world just continued to catch on fire. <gasps> That's where we're at. That's where we're at right now. Right a, lot now. Of, a lot of crazy stuff is going on. A lot of protests, yeah. rioting. Demonstrations. Demonstrations. Which is good. Those are, those are good things. The mm. reason why they're happening is not good. It's bad things. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, the world is just kind of It's a good time for bricks, bad time for windows. But the windows are breaking, so more windows need to be made. That's true. Yeah. To meet so up with the window demands. Brick and windows, I think, are good. I think they're in cahoots. I think big brick and big window are behind these protests. Well, that's probably true. Someone should look into that. <laughs> so, Jeremy, I have a question. I have an answer. Do you get migraines? All the time. Do you actually? I actually do. I have, yeah. <gasps> Okay, because I had what I thought were migraines before, but I think I had my first actual migraine the other day. Yeah. And I didn't know this, but you can feel one coming on for a couple days beforehand. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. sometimes. And I didn't know that because my brain was feeling really tingly and I thought I was dying, possibly. So yeah. I was in a straight panic for about two days, which was um, scary. Yeah. And I didn't go to the doctor. So I was kind of resigned to dying if that were the case. It's like was... pioneer thoughts. <laughs> Old timey, like, I guess I'll just ride this one out until I'm dead. Yeah. Or not dead. It was like the weirdest feeling. I didn't know it was because of a migraine. And then I didn't realize until my vision got splotchy mm-hmm. after oh, yeah. like a day and a half, two days. And yeah. then I got a headache. And I was real sensitive light and sound, which is mm-hmm. a migraine thing. But the point is, after this, I got in such a state of euphoria that I have never felt before in my life. Are you having the same migraines that I'm having? Because it's like the worst thing ever. I Even guess, after it passed. Yeah. Okay. After it passed. Not during, because that like, was awful. Fuck, but... this feels so great. <laughs> oh, my I God. am a masochist, so I love possibly. Feel... <laughs> <laughs> during it, awful. Yeah. But afterwards, yeah, I was in a complete state of euphoria. And I guess that's like a symptom. Usually people go into like a little bit of a depression. Yeah. But I went into euphoria, which I guess also <laughs> happens, which is really, really bizarre feeling. Really? Yeah. Clinical euphoria for a headache I or mean, mi- I did, a migraine. I didn't go to the doctor or anything. but I was Well, yeah, why would you go to the doctor for that? That's great. I can't remember the last time I had that much serotonin in my body at one time. <laughs> yeah. If this is what migraines are like, I'm fine with it. I just want to ride this train. Everyone who is listening to this and has migraines hates you. <laughs> migraines are like the worst thing ever, and the fact that you benefit from one angers me deeply. Okay, well, the two days prior to that were absolute hell because I thought I was dying from a brain bleed or something. Well, honestly, I would think the euphoria would... Uh, also make me be like i actually might still be dying see that thought crossed my mind but i just didn't care because you're so euphoric (laughs) i was like i could jump on top of a truck right now and it would be fine if somebody died right now (laughs) i would probably be fine hold on was the example you used i could jump on top of a truck right (laughs) now (laughs) like from a bridge 
um, because I'm invincible. Okay. You would want to jump onto a truck like Tom Cruise in a movie? <laughs> <laughs> For the straight thrill. Of jumping from a bridge yeah. onto a truck. But it was also really dangerous. I mean, I didn't do anything. Besides jumping the, onto a truck from a bridge. Besides jump trucking. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they call They don't call it trunk jumping. They yeah, call it, it jump trucking. Jump trucking. <laughs> yeah. Like, I knew I was manic, mm-hmm. so I didn't, like, act out or anything. I just knew that about myself. But... I don't know where I was going with this. I'm probably still a little bit manic, I think. (laughs) That's what I'm I'm picking up. (laughs) I think think you should still see a neurologist. I don't know. I've never had this feeling before. Well, if it's good, then just, I guess. Is this what true happiness is like? Maybe it is. That's possible. You're going to get used to this, and soon this will be kind of passe. Yeah, I'm going to like. Like, whatever. I need the the next rush. I need to go jump trucking so I can feel alive again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay, this is going to be a good podcast. I'm manic from a migraine. So keep that in mind while you're listening to it. This is a complete contrast from our last two episodes because I was in goth phase. That's right. Gothmo. Yeah. Uh, Gothmo is a badass name. That is good. Gothmo. Like an alien invader. Ooh, that's more of my likeness. I am Gothmo. Oh, we did get a viewer email regarding my name because in the older episodes, I go by Kaylee. Yeah. And they asked why I go by Mo now. And I don't know if I actually talked about it or not. I think I did a little bit. But if you're just tuning in now, I used to go by Kaylee and that is my name. But I like to go by Mo as well. I think it's a cute nickname and I feel like it suits me better. Also, her la- do you want to give away your last name? Not even slightly. Let's just say that Mo is part of her last name. She didn't just like pick out a random member of the Three Stooges and was like, right. this is my yeah. name now. I want to be Larry. I'm Curly. Well, you would go for Larry? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. You got Larry energy. That's all you really need to know about my personality. All right. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many, <laughs> so many pockets of dead air that I can't handle because... It's been a minute since we recorded. <laughs> I'm too intense and she's high. A, she's a silly goose right now. That's true. Um, I don't have any Tinderellas. We haven't done a Tinderella in a while. Yeah, we and haven't. I, and I feel like we should. I don't have any Tinderellas, but I do have Tinder pickup lines that I feel like maybe we could do in lieu of it's an idea. a Tinderella. If you want to try that, I mean. I feel like we haven't done it in a minute. How about give me your give me your pickups. I want to hear your pickups without the Tinderella. Okay. Here we go. To preface this, I have been in quarantine for three months, and I decided that the way I was going to entertain myself was going to be sending pickup lines to various ladies I met on Tinder, and these are their stories. (laughs) So I matched with a Robin, and I said, I wouldn't usually consider myself a bad girl, but I wouldn't (laughs) mind. (laughs) Okay, we're done. (laughs) <laughs> but I I wouldn't mind robbing your heart. <laughs> Continue. Okay, here's another one. I matched with an Olivia. Okay. And I said, you know, wondering if or when I'll find my wife has always been a huge anxiety for me. I'd love it if you could come alleviate that stress for me. I actually hate you. That was the... That was... I had to be... Olivia. Olivia. <laughs> That was good. That was a nice one. Good wordplay for sure. Uh huh. That's me. You're good at wordplay. That's me. And then I matched with a Sony. How's that spelled? S O N I. Okay, so not like a PlayStation. No. (laughs) And I said, to be honest, I thought I had everything I wanted out of life, but after seeing you, I so need you to be a part of it. That is an example of like not having to use a slant rhyme because it just straight up works. 
like yeah. alleviate, alleviate. Is, is not the same as alleviate, but so need and so need are the same. Yeah, but that came right out of my brain juice. Right out of your brain juice. I want to just mention, by the way, that like none of these people ever respond to me. <laughs> <laughs> so if you really? are somebody who's on Tinder and is looking for actual connection or interaction with somebody... I wouldn't recommend doing, doing these. It. it doesn't yield very good results. Right. But if you are looking for a laugh, it's good. It's nice. It's just a gas. It truly yeah. is. But also, if you're into those things and the person you're sending that to isn't into it, you don't you don't want that person that's going to reject you anyway. Yeah. Okay. This I'll make this one my last one. This is a Becca. I said, now is this the part you come over to chill or must I beckon you? I wish you guys could see the way that Mo <laughs> smiles at me after she finishes reading these. It breaks my heart to say, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wow, that was amazing. That was amazing. How are you single? People date on TikTok now. How weird is that? I know you do. You date on TikTok. <laughs> but isn't that weird, though? Like, who would have yeah. saw that happening? It's weird. And I was going to make a quick joke, if I may. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> if I may. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something wrong with your brain. I really do. Maybe it's just because I haven't had any human interaction <laughs> for three months. That. It could be that. Absolutely. And I completely forgot how to actually <laughs> associate with people. <laughs> it's okay. I like it. I just told Jeremy I met up with a friend I met on TikTok yesterday, and I didn't know how to say goodbye. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so I... she, she, made, she made a friend on TikTok, and I'm sure there's a long story behind that. I guess, did she live nearby? This person yeah. didn't? Okay. And she went into their house and spoke with them, but... Mo did not know how to leave the house, the TikTok friend's house. She was in a, a, a strange house and didn't know how to say goodbye. Please explain again for me how you said goodbye, um, how you approached an exit. So standing up on two feet like okay. a normal person, and yeah. then I reached down mm-hmm. with my right hand and grabbed my right ankle and then lifted up my leg so yeah. it was by my head. Uh-huh. And then I stood there on one leg with one leg in the air, one leg firmly on the ground, and I said, okay, I'm going to leave now. And then she said, okay. <laughs> and then I did like some little squats with it too. Hell yeah. And that's how I said farewell to the first time meeting this person in real life. You know, like when people, and we're going to be talking about some aliens in this episode, when people throughout history have claimed to have met extraterrestrials, I think a lot of it is people meeting uh, weirdos like you, (laughs) and they're like, oh, that was an alien. Because whatever that was, was absolutely an alien in human skin. Being like, "Mm, I'm going to leave. And like, instead of waving, you wave your foot or something. Like, oh, I guess he was trying to do this. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that was. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. Like, I try, like, dating. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a weird person. And I say that a lot. I'm like, I'm weird as fuck. I'm weird. I'm weird. And everyone's like, no, that's that's good. It's funny. And I'm like, but you... You see a very sanitized weird. Like, you when, see when you see somebody's yeah. weird on social media or whatever, they, they're showing you the weird they're okay with showing you? Yes. There is a depth to this strangeness that is incomprehensible. Leagues deep. You were seeing the film. Yeah. The film. Like, the, like the, a the film. Like, <laughs> that's repulsive. The film atop the <laughs> boiling pot of weird. Oh, it's developing a culture. Uh, that's what you're seeing. Yeah, that's exactly it. If this were a pot of spaghetti. Um, you would be the, the film <laughs> on the spaghetti because every spaghetti has a film. <laughs> it's the pasta foam. Mm-hmm. That's what you're pasta seeing. Pasta foam. <laughs> yeah, that's where I am. Pasta foam, man. Mm. I got you. 
Yeah. Yes. Shaking your leg, pasta film. That's where I am in social interaction because the only interaction I've really had is FaceTiming people, in which case Doesn't I- Doesn't that feel hollow after a while? It does. Yeah. It's fun, but also I can just mute myself and turn off the camera when I need to like- Fart? Well, fart and also disassociate from the conversation for a mm-hmm. minute. Yeah. And I don't have to do anything with my body either. Mm-hmm. It's just my face. And a lot of my awkwardness comes from not knowing what to do with my bodily bits. Your tentacle limbs. My noodles. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with my arms. And what... I... Well, I think that's where a lot of physical awkwardness comes from is the fact that we are the head. I identify myself as my skull. That's mm-hmm. my face, whatever. And I'm on top of the tool that is used to touch things and to pick things up mm-hmm. so that my head can interact with other heads and their tools, which is their bodies. <laughs> I'm not a scientist, but... <laughs> Um, I think a lot of awkwardness comes from the fact that we've got four loaded weapons, but we are too opposable. Yeah, we can do uh, too yeah. many things. Too many if you things. can't rein that in, too many the options. awkwardness can really flow out of you. Yeah, and that's me. I'm one giant ocean of awkward. And I like had this delusion in my head, like, ooh, after quarantine, I'm going to go to the bar and mm-hmm. I'm going to woo some women yeah. with my amazing confidence and just, <laughs> you know, physique. And I realized yesterday after waving goodbye with my foot, (laughs) that is not who I am. I will never be a person that can woo another person in my life. And that was very upsetting (laughs) to me. We've all been there. It's tough. It's tough. I was still in euphoria yesterday. Yeah. Well, that could be what it was. You were just euphoric. And so you're like, I want to wave my foot. Uh, Yeah. There's no consequences to this action. She's still my friend, I think. She doesn't stop talking to me, so I guess we're still, yeah, yeah we're still fine. Friend, friends don't care if you if you if you uh, do that stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I said that I was going to be reading iTunes reviews on our full length episodes. Yeah. Um, we got a review from a Linda mm-hmm. who gave us one star, and she said. Couldn't get far into this episode before I was hit with the f bomb multiple times. Subjects sound interesting, but I won't be listening. Uh, that has no basis whatsoever. <laughs> I never once said the word frisbee. <laughs> that was some clean humor for Linda. Oh. Fuck. <laughs> I said fuck, and she didn't like that. <laughs> Sometimes a fellow's got to say fuck to get his point across, okay? Exactly. That's very true. And I. Mo uses fuck constantly. I do swear a lot. And it's because I have the face of a 12 year old, mm-hmm. so I feel like I need profanity. To remind people that you're old enough to smoke cigarettes. Exactly. Like I, I need to spice up my image a little bit, mm-hmm. and I feel like just a little. Little. Taste taste of a fuck every now and again really adds to the yeah. the spice profile of my uh, of your vocabulary exactly. So yeah. I'm sorry you didn't like that, Linda. I would fucking love to have Linda fucking listen to this fucking <laughs> podcast. I fucking think that she would enjoy it if she fucking got past all the fucks. Right? Maybe you know? we should um try and do some fricks and hex. Oh heck! Oh heck! <laughs> Dang it! Heck and frick! <laughs> ah shoot! What the heck just frickin' happened? <laughs> go to heck! Oh my god! Go straight to heck! All you listeners, uh, except this other iTunes review that we got, which is our latest one. Uh huh. Yesteryear podcast. They gave us a five star review, so thank you very much. And they said, "Always a great time. Wish there were more, but I know it takes a lot of work, so I'll take what I can get." Thanks. Thank you very much. Very sweet. 
You're um, way better than Linda. Really heckin' good. Really freaking awesome, dude. I do want to say, yeah, it does take us a little bit of time, but also with coronavirus and everything, it's, it's been, been really slowed down significantly. Weird, because we haven't been able to really meet up and record. And you would think, of course, we would be able to meet up and record. There's nothing else to do. And you would be right, but also death. So yes, fear of death <laughs> weighs heavier on my soul than the fear of not getting an episode out on the airwaves. Yeah. So apologies for that. I'm sorry that you want my mom and dad to die. That's cool. Whatever. Fuck you, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, you asked for this. I'm doing it for you. Linda. 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 Come on. What if it's my Aunt Linda? I have an Aunt Linda, too. Wow. What if it's both of our Aunt Lindas? Maybe we have the same Aunt Linda. We've never looked into this. Do we have the same Aunt Linda? I don't know. I don't know most of my family. Well, I might if she's your Aunt Linda. Right. That'd be wild. If your Aunt Linda was my Aunt Linda and she's living a devil life, having two nieces, (laughs) (laughs) two (laughs) nephews. We do appear like brother-sister, I think. Well, I think we look like cousins. Cousins, yeah. Yeah, cousins. definitely not siblings because we have different face shapes. But <laughs> siblings, that's the only reason we aren't twins, okay? It's our it's our face shape. Uh, I've taken surveys. People say yeah, the face shape is different. I feel like we do look similar. We're both gangly white people. And definitely different. Okay, yeah, because we came from different humans. Yeah, well, we okay. we weren't born from the we same We have, womb. like, the same complexion we have the same hair color same coloring we both have higher cheekbones yep our noses are quite different the general shape of our noses is i don't know why we're going detail by detail but different ears you know our toenails are very different (laughs) that's a big one i noticed i have a hunchback while he does not yes i have a big fat ass and And i have a fatter ass (laughs) she has an even fatter ass very unproportionate to my body It claps louder than mine, Ooh. but I can drop mine lower and harder. That's true, because I had hip surgery. Because she had hip surgery. Right. Also, our hips are different, because mine didn't require surgery. Before that, I was able to drop it quite low. Quite low, but that was part of the reason why you need a hip surgery, because you just drop it too darn low. <laughs> it was too powerful. In the club. I... When you're in the club. <laughs> Remember when you're in the club and you were dropping that fat ass? <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's weird to think about going to a bar now. It's been so long. I'm actually afraid to go to a bar. I I get anxious thinking about that. Yeah. I would like to go to a bar, but also the thought of being around people gives me anxiety now where it did not before. Is it because you've been out of being socialized or is it because of the fear of infection? Both. Fair. Because I'll probably just lift up my leg and do some weird thing. And wave wave it around, yeah. Probably. That's what I anticipate. Mm Mm-hmm. We have to retrain you. Exactly. Like behavioral therapy. Um, now we're going to do a segue. You got a pun for segue? How about we just go right into it? Okay. Let's talk about aliens. Let's talk about aliens, man. <laughs> Let's talk about aliens. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about UNNs. Anyways, this week our segment will be on aliens and UFOs. UFOlogy and alien abductions. Ooh, Jeremy picked out this episode because I have been picking too many depressing things um, as of late. So <laughs> you got to lighten this up. You got to lighten this up with fun alien stuff. So without further ado, let's get, let's blast off into space, Ooh. outer space, where the aliens live. Wow. Let's, wow. let's probe further. Mm. Spaceship. <laughs> Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension 
their readiness for inconceivable adventure. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? This is a UFO, popularly called a flying saucer. This was as simple as uh, crossing the street and getting hit by a car. After it's over, you're the victim of the circumstance. I bring you a warning. Every one of you listening to my voice, watch the skies. Unbelievable. Fantastic. But I tell you, it could happen. Okay. Well, you know what, Mo? If you want to talk about aliens, yes, then you've got to talk about UFOs. Ooh. Unforgettable orbs. <laughs> okay. A UFO, if you don't know because you're dumb or something, is an unidentified flying object. And the study of UFO reports, visual records, purported physical evidence, and other phenomena relating to UFOs is called ufology. Isn't that fun? It is very fun. UFOlogy is widely considered a pseudoscience by the scientific community. It's because it is a pseudoscience. <laughs> mm. That's just my hot take. Right. The the word UFOlogy was first coined around 1957 by Ivan T. Sanderson in a February 1957 issue of Fantastic Universe magazine. I didn't even know I wrote that in my notes. Now wow. you know. 1957. UFOlogy. I relearned so many things just by reading my own notes. Yeah. And just so you know, because I also wrote this down in my notes. U.S. Air Force officer Edward J. Rup- Ruppelt. <laughs> Ruppelt or Ruppelt? It's so hard. Infl- inflection is so difficult with, with names. Ruppelt. I'm going to say Ruppelt. You're better at inflection than I am. You're an alien, so <laughs> you're learning Earth's customs still. Yes. I will never fully learn, probably. Yeah. Um, it's okay. I barely know how to tie my shoe. <laughs> uh, not a joke. So Edward <laughs> J. Ruppelt, who worked under Project Blue Book, which we may have referenced before. I'm not getting into it now, guys, because it's a whole other thing, and I've already got a lot to talk about, so I apologize. Did we talk about that already? I'll be honest with you. I don't remember anything we talk about. (laughs) We record, I edit, and it's out of my brain forever. So (laughs) let me rephrase that. U.S. Air Force Officer Edward Ruppelt of Project Blue Book first coined the term UFO in 1951. Uh, There you go. (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome ufology took full shape during the post-war flying saucer boom as it is called ufology currently suffers the same ridicule as it did at its inception it really hasn't improved in like legitimacy which is the biggest critique people have about whether it falls under science or pseudoscience because science progresses we still don't know anything about UFOs. Mm-hmm. We have no concrete evidence. But also, I take that back. Just recently, there's a bunch of disclosure about UFOs that uh, the Air Force caught back in the early 2000s. Right. But we have footage of it. That's what's crazy, is we now know that there is some form of UFO that exists. They're likely not man-made. Well, even Ronald Reagan like tried to hint at that there were aliens, and he just like couldn't tell us. Did he? Yeah. Also, I'll be like, when you first said Ronald Reagan, my first thought was Ronald McDonald. (laughs) I was like, really? Wow. Yeah. I am loving it. Speech to UN 1987. In our obsession with antagonisms of the moment, we often forget how much unites all the members of humanity. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bound. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? There you go. Fun fact. 
well, quotes around the word fact. That is a fun quote-unquote <laughs> fact. Well, the video is minute there 30 seconds. There are men seconds. on Saturn with big plans. Ronald Reagan looks like somebody. He looks like a Halloween mask that's melting. He looks like the grandpa that would pull you into his lap and just tell you about giraffes being costumes and they're not actual animals. Listen here, Timmy. <laughs> you got long necks. That's for the that's the radio poles. <laughs> radio poles? What's a radio pole, Grandpa? Oh, it's oh you know, you've seen them. <laughs> you they know. put them all over town to read our thoughts and put it on the airwaves. Yeah. Don't be ignorant, Timmy. I believe in lizard people. <laughs> took a turn there didn't it uh this podcast is, this is full uh, of plot uh, twists yep um academic psychologists and sociologists alike propose that ufology is a pseudoscience because the entire field lacks what's called cumulative scientific progress which leads to this vicious circle of like critics will say you know it doesn't adhere to an appropriate scientific method therefore ufology is isolated from academia is rarely funded and gets stigmatized leading to minimal scientific consensus building so really, like, the fact that it isn't taken seriously is what causes it to continue to not be taken seriously. In the 50s and 60s, when it first kicked off, there were some credible scientists that were interested in the field and were looking into it. But most of them were turned away either by the fact that, like, well, I've been doing this for a year and I still haven't met a, a, a Martian. Or, well, all my colleagues are laughing at me because I'm chasing UFOs mm -hmm. in my free time. Well, also, it's probably because it's true and then the government <laughs> didn't want people to actually be researching it. So yeah. they're like, we're going to make this subtle campaign to make it as unbelievable as possible. Smear so campaigns then, exist. Yeah. Propaganda, black propaganda, stuff like that. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. It's uh, my conspiracy theory. Ronald Reagan said it, so I believe it. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think the fear of ridicule chases off competent scientists. Yeah, 100%. You know I mean? Because you don't want to be seen as a kook. And that's exactly what you look like when you do UFO stuff. So Professor J. Allen Hynek was quoted as saying, Ridicule is not part of the scientific method, and people should not be taught that it is. Mm -hmm. That's right, J. Allen. Right. And a lot of people that are deemed as crazy at the time end up being like revolutionaries in their fields. Because most science, when it's first discovered, people are like, you're fucking nuts. No. Sorry. Yeah. You're scorned. You're telling me that there aren't such things as angels? Let's <laughs> hang him. <laughs> Sorry. Cut off your head. And even like quantum physics and things like that, people are like, you're dumb. Yeah. And you're out. And then 20 years later, they're like, well, maybe we shouldn't have uh, killed him. So anyways, if you're a scientist, look into UFOs because you might be praised for it in 50 years. Yeah. You might be like a Galileo. Galileo, Galileo. Quick deviation that I think is interesting. It, it pertains to like the stuff we talk about a lot on this podcast, also to like fringe culture. But uh, do you know who Charles Fort is? Charles Fort? Charles Fort. Oh, he's a science fiction guy, right? Yes. Yeah. Nice. Thank you so much. Charles Fort was an American author and early paranormal researcher. He would collect stories and reportings of what he called anomalous phenomena. The things that he wrote about were spontaneous human combustion, poltergeists, unexplained weather anomalies such as raining frogs, raining fish, ball lightning, and UFOs. Fort is considered to be one of the earliest, if not the first person to hypothesize UFO abductions as a possible explanation for strange disappearances and reappearances. Fort himself did not claim to be a scientist, and his writings can be interpreted as largely satirical even, meant to defy the scientific minds of his time. That's interesting. What I think is kind of cool is that he coined the word teleportation. Whoa! That's his word. Whoa! Isn't that that's, wild? That's cool. Yeah. The term Fortean, yeah. like Fortean phenomena, 
is a popular term used for unexplained occurrences and stuff yeah, like that. That's cool. We're going to be talking about some uh, UFO abductions and different hypotheses behind what UFOs are. There's two hypotheses that I'm going to be talking about. The extraterrestrial hypothesis and the psychosocial hypothesis. Ooh. The extraterrestrial hypothesis proposes that UFOs can best be explained as physical spacecrafts. These spacecrafts are either piloted by non-human aliens or the spacecrafts are like probes mm -hmm. without physical pilots. Now, early 20th century theorists like Charles Fort were starting to propose that various reportings on strange objects in the sky were machines containing alien travelers who were there to observe Earth. Mm -hmm. The modernized extraterrestrial hypothesis, or ETH, I'll just call it ETH because my mouth is tired. <laughs> uh, the modernized ETH developed in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and private research groups like NICAP and APRO were prevalent through the 1980s with APRO spawning MUFON the Midwest UFO Network, in 1969. Mm. And MUFON still operates today in all 50 states and 43 countries. Say those names again. Night. NICAP NICAP and, and APRO. Okay, gotcha. NICAP stands for National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, and APRO stands for Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. Okay. Now the other hypothesis, the psychosocial hypothesis, or PSH. Hmm. Psh. Psh. We have F, E-T-H, F <laughs> and PSH. The psychosocial hypothesis, or PSH, argues that at least some UFO reports are best explained by psychological or social means. The psychosocial hypothesis is not simply a counter-argument to the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Basically, it's UFO debunking via medical explanations. Okay. Hallucination, ambulatory forms of schizophrenia, or dreams. A big popular thing with alien abduction is that it's sleep paralysis. Yeah. Or a nightmare. Because mm -hmm. in most, uh, I'll say a lot of abduction reports, people are taken from their bed. Right. The psychosocial hypothesis agrees with the proven notion that most UFO phenomena can be explained as weather anomalies, meteorological events, airplanes, and misidentified terrestrial stimuli. Yeah. The mere fact that people are prone to misperceive objects in the sky as alien spacecrafts hint at there being a strange social climate that influences the witnesses to jump to such conclusions or even convince themselves of something untrue. So an example, the Will Smith effect, which right, we talked exactly. about before, which is after the movie Independence Day came out, more people started to identify UFOs in the sky mm -hmm. or make reports. Right, because they see something unexplained, and so their brain tries to connect it to something that they already know. Yeah, and that could be cultural beliefs or like rumors. Or... Right, they see something they don't know, their brain immediately tries to attach it to something that's what brains comprehensible. Do. And if you're presented with this incomprehensible thing, your brain's going to go, mm, I've heard of this thing before, though, so we're going to yep. perceive it this way, which can also kind of explain why they tend to have the same elements throughout the stories. Yeah, like why a lot of UFO reports are the same. After one story came out, if something happened to you and you couldn't explain it and then you heard somebody else's story and You'd you're like, like, oh, well, actually, that's exactly this, what happened to me. This fills in the cognitive gaps. Exactly. That's what I'm more yeah. so leaning towards. I got towards. you. So could it all be hysteria, hoaxes, and hallucinations? Possibly. I actually wrote down that question in my notes. Wow. That's lame. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so this is what I think is interesting. Hmm. Why are flying saucers called flying saucers? Because it looks like a saucer. Incorrect. <gasps> you goddamn fool. Uh, I'm so upset with you. Oh my God. So why saucers? Well, following 1947, the majority of UFOs reported are described as round, flat, disc-like saucers. Previous UFO reports did not commonly fit this description. Hmm. 
But a man named Kenneth Arnold came around in 1947 and shook up the world like a snow globe. Kenneth Kenneth Arnold's 1947 UFO sighting involving nine supposed aircrafts tracked over Mount Rainier led to the birth of a modern UFO mythology. Newspapers described the crafts as flying saucers, but they weren't flying saucers. Much to Kenneth Arnold's frustration, journalists misquoted him. What Arnold really said was, quote, They flew erratic, like a saucer if you skip it across the water. Arnold's UFOs were, in fact, crescent-shaped. So it seems to be that when there's public hysteria over flying saucers, people see flying saucers. When there's public hysteria over possible war, people see phantom airships, as reported in the early 1900s, that closely resemble zeppelins of the time. So in that way, I think a lot of UFO flaps could be a product of social climate and psychological effect. Yeah. Because you're just filling in the gaps. Um, Here's a term for you all. Cultural tracking. Cultural tracking is the apparent evolution or changing of UFO reports through time in regards to spacecraft appearance. Conveniently, as time went on, UFOs met the structure of believable aircraft. Okay. So it started out as spinning balls of fire in the medieval times. But nowadays, a UFO is like a very fancy spacecraft. Right, So right. no one's going to see a flying Zeppelin anymore. They're going to see something that looks like a stealth bomber. Mm-hmm. That's what you know. So it seems to be that cultural element of it is you fear what you know, or mm-hmm. to the best of your abilities, you shape your fears around what you think is possible. Mm-hmm. However. <gasps> However. I lied. There's a third hypothesis. The interdimensional hypothesis. Ooh, Uh-oh. Ooh. Wild card. Wow. This is Who the is younger she? brother in the leather jacket. With the aviators. Um, so the interdimensional <laughs> hypothesis, or IDH, is the theory that UFOs and related phenomena involve visitations from other realities or dimensions that exist beyond our own. <laughs> is that a laugh? or? A... <laughs> what, what was that? <laughs> is that supposed to be like an evil laugh or like a <laughs> chuckle? It was a um, distress. Let's hear that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I hear it now. I don't know what I'm seeing. Yeah, it's the sound you make when you're staggering backwards in fear. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, a UFO could be a modern manifestation of a phenomena that's occurred throughout history, but were perceived as supernatural or mythical creatures. Jacques Vallée, astronomer, computer scientist, author, and ufologist, promoted the interdimensional hypothesis and explored the theory in books like Passport to Magonia, which is a really good book. I bought it. Super interesting. It talks about the relation between UFO culture and folklore concepts like demons and ghosts. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's all I want to talk to you about UFOs. But UFOs, they don't just fly around, Mo. <gasps> they don't? They walk? I, I don't know. Our brain just can't comprehend it. We're just seeing it as a regular old thing that walks around. <laughs> but really, it's a exactly. UFO. It's a walking saucer. They're definitely out there. Big, sexy metal legs. Exactly. That's why I wondered, too. Like, okay, if you're going to be an alien spying on us, why don't you just camouflage your vehicle as, like, a regular jet airliner? That's probably what they do now. Oh, my God. Maybe the old alien technology were the saucers, and then they adapted so that we wouldn't notice them so much. Yeah. Wake up, people. Wake up. Who's to say any plane isn't an alien plane? Come on, guys. Suck on that one. Suck on that one, scientists. You sheeple. As I was saying, UFOs don't just fly around, and they don't just walk around on shiny metal legs, as proposed by Mo. They frolic. That's part of the walking on legs thing. Oh, shit. We can't differentiate. It's too big of a difference. What about the ones that run? That's scary. Mm, uh, yeah. The ones that jump. Wow. The ones that you got, there's wow. ones that swim. That's true. Like submarines, but they do it with their legs like how people swim. Yeah. They doggy Ooh, paddle. Yeah, they doggy paddle. Oh, it's really weird. Anyways... 
UFOs don't just fly around. They also abduct, <gasps> collect, Ooh. take, abduct. <laughs> <laughs> Kidnap. Kidnap, yeah. There, Ooh, we, go. there we go. That's there a good one. Go. Most importantly, they make contact with humans. It isn't just discs in the air. There's little men in those discs, I tell you. At least that's what UFO contactees say. Ooh. I just realized saying contactee out loud is a very weird word. Contactee. Contactee. I want to sound like an old-time news reporter. The UFO contactees were here, and they're scared of aliens. <laughs> UFO contactees report, yep, aliens are scary up close. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of UFO contactees that I could talk about, but there's two that I'm going to talk about. George Adamski and George Van Tassel. I just realized they're both Georges. <laughs> uh, <laughs> huh, that's weird. Are UFOs only taking people named George? I'll change my name. Well, that's not true, because I have one person on this list called Buck Nelson, and he got abducted, so his name isn't George. Middle name might be George. Didn't look into that. Mm -hmm. Smart thinking. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's start with George Adamski. He's my favorite because he's the most uh, terrible. So what you got to watch out for in UFO contactees is uh, con men. These are men who con people, oh. also known as liars and cheats. Mm -hmm. And George Adamski was a liar, a cheat, and a popular writer because <laughs> he wrote about his experiences with extraterrestrials. Starting in the late 1940s, Adamski led a small cult of about 20 members on a ranch in California. There, Adamski would give lectures on Eastern philosophy and his own spiritual practices to students and tourists. He built an observation deck with his six-inch telescope on top that he granted visitors access to, and his admirers called him Professor Adamski and perceived him to be an astronomer. Though in actuality, Adamski held no degree from any colleges and had a third-grade education. This is a whirlwind already. It really is. I want to ask you a very deep question. Really search the corridors of your mind. Okay. Um, what would you say was the defining, perhaps most important moment of the 20th century? Um, I don't know. Probably like the Great Depression. Some shit like that. You thought that was a defining moment of the 20th century? I feel like that was pretty defining, yeah. Uh, well, you're wrong because the most defining moment of the 20th century was 12.30 p.m. on Thursday, November 20th, 1952. Because that's when George Adamski met Orthon, a long-haired young man from <laughs> Venus. So Adamski offers a richly detailed description of the alien visitor. Here's Adamski's description. Tell me that you aren't completely teleported to this vision. Okay. According to Adamski, Orthon was human-like, had long blonde hair, was of medium height, had reddish-brown shoes, <laughs> and, quote, his trousers were not like mine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Can't you just see him? I can. <laughs> Standing there with his hair. He and sounds his, magnificent. And his skin and his shoes. I'm imagining Legolas. Yeah. I think Legolas had red shoes and probably strange trousers. Probably had pants that I don't own. Yeah. His trousers were not like mine. That's significant. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to hold up in court. <laughs> Well, Adamski, we don't believe you. You didn't see an alien. Oh, yes, I did. I can prove it. His trousers <laughs> were not like mine. Oh, he had uh. different pants on. Well, like back then, anything slightly deviant from the norm is considered outrageous. Anything tinfoil-like. Literally, I read a story yesterday of a woman who got arrested for wearing trousers to court. This was recent? This was like in the 50s. Okay. Well, it's scandalous. 
That's what I'm saying. And this Trousers. was in the 50s. This and, was 1952. And this boy had long hair. And different trousers. And he was of medium height. Mm-hmm. Not tall, not short. He was right in the middle. Smack dab. Just right. perfect. Just average. So Orthon spoke telepathically and used hand signals to communicate his message to Adamski. And the message that Venusians, like people from Venus... Okay. His message to Adamski was that Venusians wanted to spread peace and love to humans and warned of the dangers of atomic war. Hmm. This was one of the earliest examples of two UFO tropes, Nordic aliens and Space Brothers. Space Brothers? Space Brothers. That sounds like a horrible 80s movie that is racially charged. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, so Nordic aliens, So I'm not going to get into it too much, but there's greys, which are like tall, bald, grey aliens. There's Nordic, so like pale, blonde-looking people. Mm -hmm. On top of that, there's also different like genres of them like there's some that are scary and mean space brothers are the kinds of aliens that reach out and convey a message of peace and love Mm -hmm. adamski later wrote quote the presence of this inhabitant of venus was like the warm embrace of great love and understanding wisdom so adamski allegedly was wealthy near the end of his life due to paid ufo lectures and book deals on his cross-country lecture tours in the u.s and europe adamski was accompanied by two attractive young women who he called his official bodyguards from Venus. Their names were Kalna and Ilmuth. Ew. Adamski used the girls as arm candy, behaving mm. chauvinistically towards them. Mm-hmm. But allegations challenging Adamski's sexuality seemed to claim that it was all a show. A female follower of Adamski named Laura Mundo commented on Adamski's false machismo, saying that he would sometimes grope her, but did these things only when others were around. Quote, when him and I were alone in a hotel room or elsewhere, he was all business. And occasionally, Adamski would be entering hotel rooms with handsome young men. Whenever such a scenario was stumbled upon by a fan, Adamski would explain that they were also bodyguards from Venus. Wow, how convenient. Yeah, right? Very sexy Venus men. Uh, Venusians, please. Venusians, right, so sorry. In 1963, Adamski boasted a golden medal of honor that had been gifted to him personally after allegedly having a private meeting with Pope John the Thirteenth <laughs> per request of the extraterrestrials. Right. So the people said, hey, we need you to talk to the Pope about global peace. Mm-hmm. We can't possibly meet him ourselves. No, it's got to be you. You're the one with mm-hmm. your third grade education. <laughs> yeah. Said medal was believed by skeptics to be a common tourist souvenir that Adamski would allegedly show to friends and colleagues in a cheap plastic box, which is how a similar souvenir was sold at tourist shops in Rome. So he went to Rome, but he was probably showing people a fake commemorative Pope medal. And he was like, I got this Medal of Freedom from the aliens. That's why they gave it to me in plastic. It's less of a choking hazard. (laughs) This is what I thought was pretty crazy. He met with the Queen of the Netherlands. He actually did this, and this is not a fake thing. In May 1959, the head of the Dutch Unidentified Flying Object Society told Adamski she had been contacted by officials at the palace of Queen Juliana of the Netherlands, who advised that the queen would like to receive Adamski. Okay. Adamski informed a London newspaper about the invitation, which prompted the court and cabinet to request that the queen cancel her private audience with Adamski, but the queen went ahead with the audience, saying, a hostess cannot slam the door in the face of her guests. That's kind of baller, but she, like... Let him in. Mm -hmm. She's probably bored. Yeah, bored out of her mind, I'm sure. After the audience, Dutch Air Force Chief of Staff Lieutenant General Hay Shaper said of Adamski, quote, the man's a pathological case. (laughs) So there we go. So I'm going to end on a case that I think is really interesting. 
of a man named George Van Tassel. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yeah, Tassel. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Too kind. Uh, so, George Van Tassel, let's get a little bio on him real quick. Uh, he was from Jefferson, Ohio, born in 1910, had a middle-class upbringing, graduated high school, unlike Adamski, uh-huh. uh, had interest in mechanical repair and aviation. He worked for Douglas Aircraft, Hughes Aircraft Company, wow. and also Lockheed Aircraft all of which became major defense contractors for U.S. military. So there's a weird connection there. Mm -hmm. After 20 years of work as an airline mechanic and test pilot, Van Tassel found himself operating Giant Rock Airport. Giant Rock is uh, a giant rock near <laughs> Landers, California, in the Mojave Desert. It cover- The rock itself covers about 5,800 square feet. It's seven stories high. And it's thought to be the largest freestanding boulder in the world until a large segment broke off in 2000. While working at a garage, Van Tassel met a German immigrant named Frank Kritzer. Now, Frank was a novice prospector who owned the land that would eventually go on to be Giant Rock Airport. Frank and Van Tassel became fast friends and by 1930, business partners. Van Tassel was enamored with the quasi-prospector who habitually tunneled into the desert rocks using dynamite and went into business with him. Weirdly enough, Frank Kritzer died by what could possibly be a suicide bombing. He kind of lived under the rock. He like would tunnel little homes for himself. And he had an antenna on top of the rock. This is like just before the war. Authorities saw that antenna and this weird German guy. <laughs> and they believed he was a Nazi sympathizer. And they w- there was like a police raid on his little place under there. And either he ignited it or like the police messed up and accidentally caused a bunch of dynamite that he had <laughs> under there to explode. Oh. So he took himself out, essentially. Wow. Accidentally. And, right. That's the official story. You staying woke, sheeple? You yeah. questioning the man? You thinking about those walking UFOs with those uh, sexy metal legs? Uh, I am. Mothman legs or UFO legs? That's the question. Which one's sexier? Oof. Hard, hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so George Van Tassel took over the place, made this little airport, yeah. a lot of cool stuff. All right, George Van Tassel and how he met the aliens. Oh, the most important bit. The most important bit. Van Tassel's first encounter is described as vaguely telepathic. So this is how it goes. Vaguely? Yes. How? Okay. Get ready. It's nighttime Ooh. in this story. <laughs> Not now, but in this story. It could be nighttime wherever you are. Uh, 2 a.m., an aircraft lands at Giant Rock Airport. There are two witnesses. One saw the spaceship land, and the other heard it land. Van Tassel had been asleep, but awoke to find a saucer and a humanoid pilot out in the desert. It was a full moon, so everything was lit very well. Van Tassel approaches the aircraft and says, what do you want? Of course. Classic George. Right. He sees a flying saucer, he says, what do you want? <laughs> uh, the pilot of the saucer says, my name is Solganda, and I would be pleased to show you our aircraft. Van Tassel sees the ship hovering 10 feet off the ground. It was 36 feet diameter, 19 feet high, and bell-shaped. Van Tassel follows Solganda underneath the craft, and both are lifted via anti-gravity beam through the bottom. Other than Solganda, there were three men aboard. Van Tassel notes the strange navigational instruments. In the 1950s, aircraft used dial instruments, while this craft used vertical instruments, like fluorescent. Vertical. He describes them as fluorescent tubes with marks on them. Okay. Like a lava lamp. <laughs> right. But before, lava lamps. And there was markings on them that were symbols like hieroglyphics. Okay. Now, the four pilots on board looked like ordinary humans with what he described as a nice, healthy tan. Huh. When Van Tassel is escorted back off the craft, Solganda told him a formula that would help him time travel. 
I would like to know that. Oh, you're gonna. I have the formula. You have the formula. Oh, I have the formula. Wow. Okay. Want to hear the lay, formula? Yeah, lay it on me. It's count backwards from ten and then imagine you're there. F equals one over t, which means frequency equals one over time. Isn't that like a regular physics formula? I don't know anything about physics. I just know about UFOs. Van Tassel admits in an interview in 1964 that the formula is beyond his math skills <laughs> and would require a mathematician to understand. What? No. <laughs> you, you require a Trust high school him. education. It's literally just the frequency formula. What it's is he... frequency equals one over time. Yeah, if you uh... can't understand it, Mo, that's your problem. Don't take it out on Van Tassel. <laughs> I rest my case. Solganda looked to be in his late 20s, but revealed to Van Tassel that he was actually over 700 years old in our time. Van Tassel also claimed that extraterrestrials from UFOs are not aliens, but our ancestors who colonized Earth centuries ago. Of course. While aboard, Solganda divulged the schematics of what was to be a time travel machine that would later be called the Integratron. This is the machine that Van Tassel would spend the last years of his life building. Right, of course. Oh, you just wait. It's a real thing. Oh, my God. And it currently exists. After this experience, Van Tassel received fairly regular telepathic communication with the aliens. Over the next 25 years, Van Tassel built a strange dome-shaped building in the desert called the Integratron with a machine inside. The Integratron. Oh, yeah. It's still, you, can, you can visit it today. Whoa, what? Really? Yes. <gasps> it's beautiful looking. Made of white wood, 16-sided, metal-free dome building constructed using joinery, a method of woodworking where you interlock wood instead of using nails uh, to drive it together. Oh, right, right, right. So there's no nails or screws, and it's held That's together cool. via interlocking wooden joints. Where is this at again? It's in Landers, California. Interesting. The structure was used to host Van Tassel's Interplanetary Spacecraft Convention for over 20 years. I'm going to go there. I'm going to add it to my bucket list. For sure. It's They use it for meditation now. It's like, a, it's a, uh, weirdly enough, Jason Mraz recorded an album there. Oh. Wow. A lot of musicians record music oh, there. Okay. Yeah. I have a picture pulled up. That's yeah. very interesting. So the Integratron is 38 feet high and 55 feet in diameter. And it's designed to be an electrostatic generator, as described by Van Tassel. Mm -hmm. The Integratron's construction was funded by donations pledged by supporters of Van Tassel's from across the world. And they were followers of Van Tassel's science philosophy organization called the Ministry of Universal Wisdom. Wow. And knowing the bare minimum basic physics formulas. Yeah. Uh, frequency equals one over time. <laughs> Get with it. The building was built at a specific point on Earth's geomagnetic grid which, again, is pseudoscience um, in terms of, like, the healing properties, yeah. where two geomagnetic vortices converge with the intention of using the amplified magnetic field to assist in rejuvenation processes. Because that part of the desert, too, is believed to be, like, you know, ley lines? Yeah. Vortexes of energy, uh, you know, all the uh, unsubstantiated science stuff. It seems that Van Tassel's time machine was not for returning people to different points in literal time, but allowing a person's body to achieve spiritual and biological time travel through rejuvenation. Oh. That's what it seems to be. Okay. At one point, from what I gather, there was an actual machine inside. Like, he actually was making a literal machine inside of the Integratron. But after he died suddenly oh, of a heart attack. Oh, the secrets were lost. So we'll never know what was there. Right. But now. We'll we, never have time travel. We'll never have to. But you know what? Maybe he time traveled. <gasps> oh, maybe he finished it and then he went traveling. The body was buried. He didn't leave. Well, that we know but of. But his soul transcended. He also had cloning technology. Oh, my God. It literally all makes sense. All of it. It literally makes perfect sense. <laughs> the world makes um, sense now. George Van Tassel 
would go on to appear on over 400 radio and television programs. He had given roughly 300 lectures on ufology and his radical scientific theories and research. I saw an interview where he was discussing what it was like to be a contactee, and he says, quote, This was as simple as getting hit by a car. After it's over, you're the victim of a circumstance. That's very, uh... Yeah. Yeah, very carefree. <laughs> it's as easy as getting hit by a car. <laughs> a thing where most people don't survive. <laughs> Trust me, I've been hit by many a car. Oh, yeah, it's just something that happens where all your legs are broken and you become unconscious for the rest of your life. And I think the spirit of George Van Tassel is best encapsulated in this 1964 interview at KVOS Webster Reports. Right now. How old are you now, by the way, George? I'm 54, Jack. Got uh, three grown daughters married and 11 grandchildren. You don't mind if I ask you the stock question? I know that you've been asked every obnoxious question that can ever have been asked. You've never been treated for any form of emotional upset. I've never had an emotional upset other than women. Haven't <laughs> <laughs> we all? Other than women. <laughs> Relatable, my man. We like women. We like women and women emotional. They make my heart hurt. <laughs> That's where I'm going to close off on... Aliens and UFOs. I gave you a lot of stuff there. I don't know. I don't know how much of it stuck, but I'm sure we'll talk about this again later. There's plenty of stories I can tell you that I've learned about crazy people that are just actually just crazy people. Woo! I learned that UFOs walk and have very beautiful legs. Yeah, I agree with that deduction. So I'm going to go off on a little bit of a different tangent as far as aliens and UFOs and stuff go. Because a lot of these skeptics and debunking theories come into play, like you're saying, the Will Smith effect is that a lot of stories tend to fall into the same categories and follow the same storyline as these really major early cases, such as the Ken Arnold airplane story from 1947. The Hill incident that I talked about in our last UFO yeah, episode. Betty and Barney Hill. Yep, Betty mm-hmm. and Barney Hill from 1961. And then there's another really popular one by Antonio uh, Villas Borres from 1957. And all of these really kind of led the charge of popular abduction stories and really popularized the idea of aliens and UFOs and things mm-hmm. like that. However, a lot of people believe there are a lot of alien abductee stories before those major ones. So these Early abduction stories are called paleo abductions because they came like really early on, Mm -hmm. are commonly before the 1960s. So like the Hill incident was the really big one and that was 1961. So generally before 1960s, if there's like an alien abduction stories, it's considered a paleo abduction. Okay. So to give you an idea of what some of these cases are like, one case was reported in 1897 by a Colonel H.G. Shaw and one of his friends. They stated that they were harassed by three tall, slender humanoids whose bodies were covered with a fine, downy hair. The beings tried to kidnap them, but they were able to fight them off. So this was, like, reported in a newspaper and was, like, kind of I think I heard about this a long time ago. Okay, in this story, when they tried to take them, if this is the right one, didn't the aliens try to, like, actually pick him up and take him? Yeah. They, and they couldn't pick him up? Yeah. These aliens also had bags of air they would breathe from? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, that's spooky. That I like gross? that. Yeah, I like that. Another story from 1921 came from an anonymous child that was reported to a local newspaper magazine 
where the child claimed to have been kidnapped by two tall men who wore helmets and diving suits who took him to an oddly shaped tank before releasing him again. So he didn't state like what they did to him, just that he was taken and then he was released later on. And another really popular series of stories of paleo abductions is the Shaver Mystery. Ooh. Ooh, which I'm going to really heckin' dive into here. Oh, frick. Because it's real interesting. So Richard Sharp Shaver is an American writer and artist who lived from 1907 to 1975. So his first name is Richard. Yes. That means... His friends called him Dick, Dick Shaver. Ooh. That's a very terrible name. Sorry. That's amazing. Sorry for you. So he claimed to have a personal experience with a sinister ancient civilization that had advanced technology in caves underneath the earth. Mm. So <laughs> that is a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> yeah. So he claimed that there was a civilization that was before us. They had to make these caverns underneath the earth that they resided in yeah and they ended up leaving to go to other planets and things but some of them were left behind so we have Mm. these earth dwellers in the hollow earth but also these like ancient aliens as well yeah it's like a full enchilada of fun conspiracy things yeah it has everything so the writings that he made because they were published to a magazine were passed off as fiction But he genuinely believed his stories, and he stated that they were all grounded in truth. Okay. Just to give you a little bit of backstory in his life, he claimed to have started to hear people's thoughts while he was at work one day. Okay. Um, So schizophrenic. uh, In 1932, he claimed to have gotten a telepathic record of a torture session conducted by evil beings in the caverns of the earth. Okay. I'm keeping an open mind. So he quit his job. Okay. I'm closing my mind. (laughs) (laughs) And he became homeless for a period of time. He was hospitalized in 1934 for psychiatric problems, but they were never able to diagnose him and they couldn't find a clear mental illness. So Because it was like the 30s. Oh, I don't understand. We fed him uh, (laughs) elemental mercury and he's still still screaming. (laughs) All right. Uh, Better shock him with electricity. I don't know, sir. He seems fine. He just thinks he hears people's voices. Don't feed him for a week. (laughs) So when he was homeless, he just kind of disappeared for a while and no one really knows where he was well but also who keeps tabs on homeless people exactly and i'm assuming he didn't have people close to him to like babysit him yeah or he wouldn't have been homeless to begin with Also, he's not a baby so it'd be man sitting (laughs) it'd be man sitting the dick shaver so his whereabouts weren't known until the 1940s and shaver claims during this period of his disappearance he was taken to the cavern world where he was held Mm. captive yeah. For a period of time. In 1943, he wrote to a magazine called Amazing Stories. Yeah. Which is pretty popular at the time for like science fiction and different like cool kooky stories. Yeah. Where he claimed to have discovered an ancient language called Mantong. Ooh. He stated that this was the source of all languages on Earth. Each sound had a hidden meaning, and by applying the formula to any word in any language, one could decode a secret meaning to any word, name, or phrase. That reeks of schizophrenia. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so he had this secret formula of this language called Mantong, which is like an mm-hmm. ancient language. Here's the thing. An editor of that magazine uh, named Ray Palmer said that he applied this formula to several words and realized that Shaver was onto something. Ooh. Yes. So in his autobiography, Palmer, the editor, asked Shaver how he learned of this language. And Shaver responded with a 10,000-word document titled, A Warning to Future Men. Oh, God. Which <laughs> des- That's horrifying. <laughs> which describes the advanced prehistoric races who built caves inside the Earth before abandoning it for another planet due to radiation from the sun. Okay. They abandoned some of their children there. So the ones that remained had two different groups. There were the noble, good, kind-hearted ones called taros, mm-hmm. where the other ones degenerated over time and were mentally unstable, and Ooh. they were like sadists. It's like alone in the darkness. Yeah. It's creepy. And they were called daros. Okay. So taros and daros. So taros were the good ones. Daros are sadists. Okay. Um, which is so hot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's kinky. That is kinky stuff, right? Dick Shaver. So Shaver came up with those names himself. He shortened them from the word robots, not because they were like made of machine, but because they were very robotic-like in their behavior, apparently. Yeah. So the Darrows, the bad ones, still lived in caves and kidnapped surface dwellers by the thousands for meat and torture. Oh, man. And he claimed that they had, quote, ray technology that allowed them to spy on people and project tormenting thoughts and voices into the minds of people on the surface of Earth. So they were doing their evil deeds from inside to torture people and eat them. That's what they did to him then, right? Yes. They sent him that telepathic record of torture. Exactly. Yep. So Darrow's could be blamed for... It's like tooth tunes. Remember tooth tunes? You'd brush your teeth and inside, uh, your, inside your skull you'd hear wow. a song. Hannah Montana. Yeah, yep, I could dance yep. on Hannah Montana while I'm brushing my teeth. Yeah, it didn't quite sound right. It sounded like a scary thing inside your head. Right, <laughs> yeah, spooky. So Shaver claimed that Darrow's could be blamed for pretty much like all the bad things that ever happened on Earth. Things like airplane crashes and natural disasters, he said, could be blamed on the Darrow's. Just wanting to like fuck up human life Yeah. because they're evil. Actually, let's, let's just put a tornado there. Right. Just do that. Er. Hey, that plane should be on the ground. <laughs> he said that sometimes they did travel with spaceships or rockets and were able to meet other extraterrestrial beings. That part kind of confused me because if they were left behind because of the sun radiation, why did they not just leave with their other alien counterparts? Why did they well, stay? You know, it took them a long time to like, make the cave their own. And like it's just kind of their pad right. now. They don't want to leave it because it's just so comfortable the way it is. And they have the ray technology now. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Torturing humans. It's a lot of fun down there. They want to stop and meet people, but they want to come back home. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs a home base. That's what I say. Exactly. So that's exactly what he claims like UFOs and things are is like the spaceships and rockets from... The, the earth hollow earth people it's like the call is coming from inside the house exactly. that old line it's like that the ufos are coming from the yeah, dirt exactly and he knew all of this because he said that he had firsthand knowledge from being kidnapped for several years yep so he knew mm-hmm. he knew all this so palmer loved the story believed it and he took this ten thousand word document that shaver sent him and basically extended it just added like a lot of fluff 
and things, but yeah. kept like the story the same and submitted it to an issue of the magazine, which completely took off and sold out. So a lot of people were able to find the story and the magazine ended up getting like tens of thousands of letters from people claiming that they experienced the same thing mm, as okay. Shaver. Between like 1945 and 1949, they got like a bunch of letters attesting to Shaver's story because the magazine kept adding like new issues. Like every new issue, they kept adding a bunch of stuff and Shaver right. was like foaming at the mouth at this. Because he was also epileptic. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he loved it. He loved people knowing and also people like responding and stuff. So the kind of things that people said that they also experienced were hearing strange voices, like having ideas projected into their head, um, encountering people from the hollow earth. One woman stated that she was kidnapped. She like took some elevator down into the middle of the earth. It was like an elevator type contraption where she was raped and tortured for months That's be- terrible. before she was eventually freed. That's horrendous. Also, I do believe that there's been other cases where like people disassociate, yeah. but you're so terrified and in shock that your body creates a fantasy. Right. And then when you hear something like that, you're like, oh my God, that's yeah, exactly what, what it yeah. was. That's what Plug it was. Plug this into there. And yeah, yeah, which is terrifying. nuts. And like for somebody like Shaver, it's just, like all the validation that he needed mm-hmm. that he was like correct in all of this. Yeah. So Shaver Mystery Club societies ended up being created because people believed in it so much. <laughs> I would love to be part of the Dick Shaver Mystery Club. <laughs> yeah, Dick Shaver That's Mystery badass. Club. Ooh. <laughs> but honestly, Shaver Mystery Club sounds so cool. It does. It, it sounds, sounds really like, cool. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a TV show. Amazing. And it was actually reported on in Life magazine in 1951 because mm-hmm. it gained quite wow. a bit of popularity. The Shaver Mystery Clubs where people would talk about like aliens and that's fun UFOs and stuff. So many people dismissed his stories as paranoid schizophrenic delusions, hmm. which sounds like haters to me. <laughs> <laughs> they hate us because they ain't and, us. Uh, stop trying to stifle my truth. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. They said the support for Shaver's stories came from people who would otherwise spend their time claiming that they were being persecuted by invisible voices of their neighbor's dog, <laughs> is what one goes in. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so they were already like crazy people and this gave crazy people an A outlet. Pla- well, that's fun too, because it's like, oh shit, you're crazy? I'm crazy. I'm crazy. Let's go talk about crazy stuff. Yeah, well, honestly, it's like a good corral. Yeah. Also, it gives them something to do. That's fun. That's fun for them. Yeah, that's what we're doing right that's now. That's what we're doing. Hi, you crazy people. So the magazine stopped publishing Shaver stories in 1948. Palmer, the editor, claimed that this was due to pressure from sinister outside forces to make the change. So the Darrows are added again. They his, his boss is probably just like, hey, let's talk about something else. Yeah, this is enough. Enough it's 1948. Enough. We've been through a war and there's more cool stuff to talk about. Right. And also like the sales were kind of slowly going down because a lot of skeptics were like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, if you give stuff too much exposure, there's more likely of a chance for it to develop faults and cracks mm-hmm. and get more overanalyzed. Exactly. After his stories kind of stopped being published in the magazine, Shaver decided to move on to a new fun, exciting moment of his life, and that was rock books. Do you know what rock books are? Books about rocks. Uh, no. What? They were stones that he believed to have been created by the ancient races, which held pictures and texts of their existence, basically, because he wanted physical proof that he was correct and they existed. And he found it. And he found it in rocks. So okay. <laughs> he actually... Um, <laughs> he was actually crazy. I think <laughs> this guy 
the jury is in, and it's he's crazy. Yeah, he actually uh, made a rock book lending library oh, where he go. would send the rocks with his writings because he would write extensively about each rock that he found. He would do drawings. He would like photograph them extensively, mm-hmm. and he would send these to different people so that they could see what he was talking about and that there were Atlanteans inside the stones inside the stone mm-hmm. you know what I'm, I'm shocked this guy was unemployed he's got so much drive right come on put that to good use, put that to good use. Good he job, was trying man. with the magazine but yeah, they were right. in, they cut him off so he made a lot of paintings and drawings and writings and things about these different rocks and the images and like what he believed to be inside them they're actually pretty good i looked up pictures of him after this and what he's most known for now is his paintings. And they're actually... Really? Yeah, they're actually shown in a lot of different exhibits regularly still, like all of his different paintings and artworks based on these rock stones. Oh, wow. This, Yeah, man, his paintings are great. They're very psychedelic looking. Yeah, they're actually very cool. Like looking at his paintings makes me think, A, he's probably got a psychological condition. And B, he might be onto something because, like, there's something very primitive and ancient about his paintings, but like yeah. in like a weirdly wise kind of way. Oh man, they're really, they're really, uh, really intriguing. Yeah, they really are. I can see why they got really popular. Mm-hmm. And like knowing the story behind them, I feel like is a lot of fun. Yeah. The giant long journey of his life in Palmer because he was like associated and believed in all of these delusions as well. But I feel like that's kind of a fun trip down alien lane. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What have we learned? We've learned that aliens can come from above, but they can also come from below. Yes. And when you meet an alien, be careful. They want people to think you're crazy, but you're not. Unless you are. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just saying if you can hear voices in your head, it's the Darrow's. It's Sidero's for sure. Absolutely. No one's disputing that. But the government would like you to believe that, you know, oh, Mars is really cold. Ugh, sure. Right. There's no life on Venus. Okay. Show me. Uh, yeah. I'll see it when I, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll see it when I see it. All right. <laughs> I'll see it when I see it. Mm. I'm going to go to the moon and see where they're hiding the aliens. There's a base there. It's been occupied since the 50s. Mm-hmm. They just put a cover over it so you can't see it with the mm-hmm. telescopes. Yep. The moon isn't even there. It's true. It's a projection it's, in the sky. Yeah. That's why it's so far away all the time. And in the daytime, how sometimes you can kind of see it. Yeah, it's because the projection is weaker in the light. <gasps> I know. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Stay woke. Stay woke, fam. Anyways, good vibes. Good vibes. I don't know. I had a migraine and I had euphoria for a minute. I feel like that's a decent vibe. That is a good vibe. You, 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 you are currently feeling a good vibe. I'm currently going through an oddly pleasing experience and i don't know how to feel about it if i should be excited if it's about, a tumor about migraines or if i should be concerned maybe i have brain cancer i don't know i don't really know that doesn't sound like a very good vibe <laughs> <laughs> euphoria let's focus on the euphoria you feel you're feeling good things are looking up well if it was a brain tumor because i looked into it a lot of 
symptoms of that is like memory loss and like jumbled memories and things like that. Okay, yeah. My speech would kind of go wonky. You had a migraine, yeah. So I'm going to go with that train of thought and not panic. So uh, well, my good vibe is more current event. Like right now, there's a lot of disturbances in the country with demonstrations and protests, a lot of police brutality. Mm-hmm. In Flint, Michigan, a Flint sheriff took off his helmet during a protest and marched alongside protesters. Oh, it's a really beautiful moment. I love that. Sheriff Christopher R. Swanson of Genesee County walked with demonstrators protesting police brutality and the death of George Floyd. We want to be with you all for real, Sheriff Swanson said, addressing the demonstrators who had gathered in Flint, Michigan. He made it a point to take off his helmet and that officers had to put down their batons. Quote, I want to make this a parade, not a protest, he said. Aww. He shook protesters' hands and high-fived another. Wow. He then acknowledged the children in the crowd. He asked the crowd what he and the other officers needed to do. The crowd chanted, walk with us walk with us and so he did that's amazing and that's sweet that is a good vibe i love that so that's that's that's, a really good vibe we can look forward to more of that happening um hopefully and just making sure that everybody is having a pleasant experience on earth yes we're all equal right because the real enemy is not each other it's the darrows it's the and uh, (laughs) can we get back on that train please (sighs) okay all right everybody Um, thank you guys for listening and sticking around with us. I know it's weird with coronavirus, and I hope you are all very safe and well, and life is treating you okay regardless of the current circumstances. No, we're always here if you ever need to reach out. I still read all the emails, so if you need something, you know. Um, Anyways, (laughs) I don't know what that was, but we're leaving now. So if you would like to give us a topic or if you have feedback or anything like that, you can send us an email at according to an idiot at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Idiots Accord, and we have a Facebook and Instagram at according to an idiot. If you would like to review us on iTunes, I will read it and it helps us and I would really, really appreciate it and probably um, kiss you on the mouth if you did it. No, because it's corona season. We're in the middle of a pandemic. You can't kiss people's mouths. Rain check mouth kiss. No, saran wrap over the face, kiss on that. Dental dam. Dental dam on your mouth and my mouth as I kiss you. That is what you can look forward to. Um, All all just for leaving a review on iTunes. And when you leave a review on iTunes, it helps the show out. It helps people find us. And it (laughs) makes us feel good. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll make you feel good by kissing you. Wow, the dental dams. Dental dams. It's more enjoyable that way. All right. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you in time. Bye, guys. Bye.